It's Thursday, and the Blue Bloods are back with another loaded episode full of college football content for all our listeners out there. We start the episode by debating which national championship team was the least deserving. Then we continue our hot seat segment, and we continue our group of five run here with the Sun Belt Conference. We then move on to debating which school has the best backfield in college football heading into this next season. And of course... You already know we wrap it all up with your favorite segment, the our recruiting update. And this time we had to look at Notre Dame's 2021 recruiting class. We have a full show, guys. So let's kick it off. So guys, a few episodes back, we broke down the worst or least deserving Heisman winners of all time. So it got myself and Brandon thinking, and we said, why not? Let's just break down the worst and least deserving of a few different things. And so today, we're going to do national champions in college football history. So we want to keep this fair, guys. Same thing with the Heisman. We're only taking into account teams since 1980. It's around where the modern era of college football started. It's really hard to say, you know, to compare the 1919 teams to the today to today's team. And so we're going to keep it modern. But Brandon, who is your pick for the least deserving national champion in college football history? Zach, so this question actually hit me very hard. It made me reflect on a lot of things. Um, number one, I need to think about my biases and I need to take them face on. Um, so what I'm going to do is since I can't be biased forever, I think the least deserving national champion of all time is a team that probably shouldn't have been in the national championship to start with. I've got 2007 LSU and I, I don't want to talk wait, about it very much. We're going to stop the podcast. You pick the 2007 LSU Tigers. Zach, I, I, I just said I don't want to talk about it, but yeah, I have to. They're, they're the only two lost national champion in the modern era. I mean, that's BCS, that's playoff. They are the only two lost national champion since 1980, since what we're talking about. Yeah, they are, and I they they were my first pick. I have another team, but I honestly ha- have like this whole segment written out just to tear you apart, but you picked them. So, why don't you give us your fan perspective and then I'll jump into like what I thought about the season. I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly what I thought. I mean, it was 2007, so I was I was the ripe age of of 11 years old when this when or when when this team won the national championship. Um and all I remember is being a kid and being very, very emotional about football, maybe even more so than I am now, uh, which is saying a lot. And so I remember LSU lost to Kentucky, and I was like, oh, no, this is a really good LSU team. They lost to Kentucky. What's going to happen now? They still have their uh, national championship hopes alive. Uh, you know, we, that was the team with Glenn Dorsey, and that was the team that a lot of LSU fans thought could win it all. Um, and then – uh, it's rivalry weekend at, at the end of November. It's it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. 
and LSU drops the ball again in another three overtime game. By the way, the Kentucky game was a three overtime game. So was the Arkansas game that LSU lost. And so now LSU is going um, into the SEC championship with two losses, and they end up winning that and somehow end up second overall in the in the BCS poll. And they made the national championship, which makes a lot of USC fans very upset. Um, but they ended up putting the smackdown on Ohio State, which yeah, I guess they won the national championship. I just don't think they were very deserving. And I'll be the first one to say they probably didn't belong in that game to start with. But they somehow made it because the BCS system uh, is points and a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm dumb. And so that's that's how they did it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I felt like we couldn't have this segment and it couldn't be taken seriously if we didn't include the only two lost team to ever make the championship. Right. I feel I feel like that was a guarantee. Like I even put in here, I wasn't even going to apologize. I was going to be like, I'm sorry, Brandon, but this is the low hanging fruit of this segment. You have to pick a two lost team who lost to Kentucky and Arkansas. It's not like they lost to Florida. Or okay, Auburn Arkansas or Alabama. Was, Arkansas was good. Arkansas was uh, good that year. But both teams finished eight and five, and Kentucky had a losing SEC record. Neither of those teams were great. Okay. That's okay. I'll bad. give you this. I don't like I'm just, going with this. I'm just messed. You don't want to know why? Because Auburn was not that good. <laughs> Auburn finished number eighteen that year. Yeah, that they were okay, but we had we had some tough stretches. But that one one of the better Auburn teams in history. But I mean, so I'm going to say this. Arkansas had a lot of talent. Do they put it all together all the time? No. But, you know, they did go into LSU and beat LSU in Death Valley. And the funny part is, Brandon, you know who the offensive coordinator was for that Arkansas team? Yeah, Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn. I, you know you know what I wish he did? I wish he brought that formula on how to win in Death Valley to Auburn, but I guess they confiscated <laughs> it when they let him go. <laughs> That um, was really mean. I don't like that. Yeah, uh, that was kind of. I was more of like a. That was more like of a punch to my gut as an Auburn fan. The fact that we can't beat LSU in Death Valley. But you know, the weird thing about this is that LSU jumped three teams in the polls that didn't even play during Championship Week. Yeah, well, maybe make your conference championship. Well, okay, so there were three teams that people have argued deserve to be there more than LSU that they jumped in that poll. The first one is Virginia tech who is Man. also a, who also was a two loss team. And Which, there were the the eighth, way, I, one of them was like, to LSU. One of them was uh-huh. to LSU. And, and what was it was sport, a Zach? blowout, a blowout. I, I, they beat them by like 30 points. And LSU I was won that game 48 to seven. LSU won yeah. 48 to seven against Virginia tech. They didn't belong. Yeah. Yeah, they did belong. I was going to say that that's the one team that people are like, well, they were also a conference champion, but it's pretty convincing when you get beat 48 to 7. So I understand the jump over Virginia Tech there. The re- and then they jumped over Georgia, who was a two-loss SEC team but didn't make the conference championship because Tennessee held the tiebreaker. So I get why LSU jumps Georgia. They're in the same conference. They're the conference champion. So Georgia, you have to sit out. You should have made the championship, right? Yeah, that's what I mean, I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I think that's why. He, okay, I can't believe I'm about to argue this on 
a national podcast, but I'm going to have to. <laughs> the team that should have been in the championship is Kansas. Oh, no. Kansas Jayhawks, oh, guys. No. Yes. Yes. The team that didn't win a game for like three years. But in 2007, they were a one-loss team. And their only loss came to a number one ranked Missouri team in Kansas City in the last week of the season. Well. So they had one loss to a top 10 team in a neutral site game. LSU lost to Kentucky, who finished unranked, and an unranked Arkansas team. So LSU was probably a better team than Kansas in talent-wise. But how are you going to put a two-loss team over a two-loss team who lost to two unranked teams like Kentucky and Arkansas to, over a team who has one loss to the who, to the eventual number one team in the country because Missouri was the number one team in the country heading into conference championship weekend. When they played Kansas, it was a three-versus-five matchup, and Kansas only lost by one score. Yeah, yeah. So Kansas really and truly had the better resume over LSU this this past year and if and if we had a committee picking like kind of like we do now kansas actually probably makes it in over lsu in my opinion based off of what zach off of your opinion is that what you just said no uh, based off of just the facts they they played they back in the day the big 12 had talent this right. is not the, the Big 12 of today. This is when you had Missouri that was good. Texas A&M was in the Big 12. Kansas was good. Oklahoma was still good. Texas literally just came off a national championship the, two years before. And, uh, and so that conference was deep. And so the strength of schedule was there. And they had a loss to the number three team in a neutral site. And LSU would have never lived down that loss to Kentucky. Right, right. Okay. And and they would have never lived down a loss at home against Arkansas. Fair enough. And so I think Kansas should have been the pick there, but I think it's an obvious choice to pick the 07 LSU Tigers, even though I don't feel like they're the least deserving. This was my this was really my number two pick. My number one pick, though, Brandon, this will make you happy because I think this team was even more least deserving than a two loss LSU team. Okay, let's hear it. The nineteen eighty four BYU Cougars. Strange, but okay. So hear me out, guys. I'm sure, uh, Brandon. If you had to count on your hands how many things you know about this team, how many fingers would you be holding up? Um, they they played in Utah. They were they were the Brigham Young University. They're probably Mormon. Uh, that's what I know. Uh, two things. Uh, okay, let's be honest to our listeners here. Did you even know BYU won a national championship? <laughs> I actually did, and they actually won two. Like they won in nineteen eighty two and nineteen eighty four. Oh man, it. So this team is why a group of five teams get no respect today, guys. So if you're an Appalachian State fan, a Cincinnati fan, a Memphis fan, and you're like, why don't we get a shot? This is why. So. Brandon, they opened up the season beating number three Pitt twenty to fourteen in week one, and it jumped that team into the top ten. That's pretty impressive, right? Right. Pitt finished three seven and one that season. 
and they were preseason ranked third. <laughs> so does that okay. really count? Did they really beat the number three team of the country, or did they just play an overranked pit team? It's kind of like my argument that LSU beat, uh, what was it, like seven top ten teams this past season? Yeah. Um, except for they beat Texas, who just – did they even finish ranked this season? I don't think like, they oh, did. No, they were top ten. They were top ten when LSU played them, so they were top ten. You know? but, but at least they made a bowl game. This pit team won three games. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, and they only nice. beat this pit team by six points. Okay, yeah, that's fair And enough. so – that's the that's their that's their hang their hat on like this is the when you hang your hat on BYU then proceeded to beat twelve unranked teams on their way to the championship. Brandon, Perfect. they okay. they had they had a devastating schedule of Tulsa, Wyoming, New Mexico, UTEP, Utah State. How in the world did they stay undefeated? I don't know, man. <laughs> do, 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 do you okay. want the kicker to all this? Uh, yeah, Brandon. You know I'll how L, you know how LSU had to go play Clemson for the national title, and you know Texas and USC had to play in 05 and Florida, Ohio State had to play in the national championship. You know how it works nowadays. Yeah. Um, they played in the Holiday Bowl <laughs> against against six and five Michigan. The team barely had a winning record, and that's who they got to play in the Holiday Bowl. A 6-5 and five Michigan team, and the voters voted them as national champions. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> Fair the, enough. This team had zero All-Americans on this roster. And the two, three, and four team in the country were Oklahoma, Florida, and Washington. How many points are you taking those three teams by over BYU? Um, ah, man, (laughs) I just, not a lot. I, it's, this team was so undeserved. Brandon, I, I, you know, today I took notes for this episode earlier today. I still can't believe they got to play a six and five team in the national championship. No. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not fair. You, you know, if you look through, like, the list of national championships, you'll see, like, number one versus number two or number one versus number three just because things were weird back in the day. And all of a sudden you see number you see number one BYU versus unranked Michigan. It's definitely uh, – it, it, it's definitely not a great look for the NCAA. Yeah, so 1984 BYU, please take – 1984 off of everything that you list you have a national champion you are not the national champion you are worse than ucf because at least ucf beat a ranked team fair you know enough. what they, they beat multiple ranked teams <laughs> they did and you know what they did not play six and five michigan and you know what you know this makes me so mad how many teams okay brandon if if you gave lsu the chance to play a six and five team in the Natty this year, would you even watch the game? Yeah, you would, I, watched, you, I watched. I watched the Utah State game. Okay, Zach. I okay. The Utah State you, game. you would have watched the game. How? Okay, would you have already bought the national championship T-shirt before the game was even played? Because I would have. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! For sure. It, it, Joe Burrow would have thrown for nineteen touchdowns against any six and five team. <laughs> yeah, that's hey facts. And, you know, this – so this is my pick as the least deserving team. 
by far that to ever win a national championship. 1994 BY Cougars, write it down y'all's books. I, I still have to go do more research because I, as I've researched this team, I could not believe it. Right. No, I, yeah, that's definitely a very good pick, Zach. Uh, but to continue on to my final team that I thought should end up uh, on my list, I, I did a lot of research, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the 1980 thing was really killing me for a long time because the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to pick one of Alabama's, what, like six national championships where they just, they weren't real. They just they, kind of like the Tuscaloosa I think, the Tuscaloosa Inquirer. Yeah, like 19, 19, I think it was 1976, they lost to Penn State in the Sugar Bowl and still won the national championship. Yeah, I, I, yeah. so <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so there were a lot of those. And so then I was like, well, who else do I hate? And, you know, Texas, of course, comes to mind. Um, so I was thinking, oh, 1970 Texas, but we have the 1980 thing. So, But like 1970 Texas lost to the sixth ranked team in the country. They lost to number six, Notre Dame, 24 to 11 and still somehow won the national championship. And then I was like, well, let's go back to who I really hate, and it's Alabama, and it's 1973, and I think this is what you're referring to, Zach. And they lost. Yeah, they lost you're right. I knew it was 70-something. Notre, Notre Dame kept just losing national championships even though they won. Um, and so Alabama lost that game and still finished first in 1973. And so what did I have to do? I really had to stick it to them, Zach. And I'm doubling down on this. Because on my on my um, on the last episode, we talked about how LS, how I, at least I talked about how the 2011 LSU team was the best team that ever won the national championship. And so, what I think I'm going to do here is I'm going to list the 2011 Alabama team as one of my least deserving national championship uh, championship teams, even though there probably were better candidates. Um, this team shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, that kind of goes along with my last team. I, at least I picked LSU. You know, you could, you know, I couldn't stay unbiased for too long. Um, this team literally lost to the team they played in the national championship and still made it back. Yeah, they won 21 nothing. Yeah, LSU never passed the 50 yard line, whatever. LSU didn't come to play. You've heard my spiel. I'm not going to continue on it for too much longer. Um, Alabama, you're a bum, especially in 2011. I don't. I'm not going to argue with that. I, okay, so I did give you a lot of crap. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I did. Don't. And, but they they should not have been there. I mean, right. how did Oklahoma State get passed up? That's right. I mean, hey, <laughs> you're asking me. I don't know. Uh, Oklahoma State got passed up. Eleven and one Stanford got passed up. I mean, even eleven and one Boise State. I mean, come on, man. I, I think Oklahoma State should have been the team to make that national championship. And I, I think personally, I think LSU wins that game, and LSU has another national champion. So I don't, I don't hate that pick because it's the. It's the worst slash least deserving. I picked 2011 LSU as my, not 2011 LSU, 07 LSU as my least deserving. And I picked BYU as the worst team to win a national championship. But I, I don't mind Bama, uh, 2011 Bama being undeserving because I don't think they should have been there either. I completely agree with you here. Right. They're, they were very undeserving. They didn't play in their own conference championship game, yet somehow they, they didn't even win their. 
that's what makes me. That's what kills me is that they didn't even make it to the to their conference championship. You want to? Like, you want to? Go ahead. You you want to be more mad? They've done it twice. They didn't win their no, division know. in 2018 either. Auburn did. Oh, I know. And then Auburn got smacked by Georgia, and then Alabama and Georgia somehow ended up playing in the national championship. That one made me mad too, and that was all. That was a, that was a pretty serious contender for me too. But uh, as as my biases continue to grow, I had to choose this one. <laughs> you know, as soon as we have a little bit of growth on the podcast, we take like it's like one step forward, seven seven steps back in terms of bias on this podcast, like, like seven giant leaps backward, like. I'm I'm tripping over myself because it's too much. Oh god, guys! But listen, we we have spent 20 minutes talking about undeserving national champions. Oh, have we really? Oh, yes, <laughs> that's tough. But we're gonna move on. Second segment of the day. It's our hot seat segment, and in case you missed the last few episodes, we break down which head coaches are on the hot seat going into this next season. We ran through the Power Five. We ran through the AAC. Guys, we're getting at some conferences that you guys might not know a lot about these coaches or programs, but we're going to bring you guys the content. That's our job here. We're going to do the Sun Belt today. I'm sure you guys are just as excited as we were to take notes on the Sun Belt, but uh brandon who is which head coach is on the hot seat for the sun belt right now yeah guys zach pretty much just hit it right on the head there um uh be honest with me zach did you know any of the head coaches names in the sun belt before you had to do research for this um i actually did i knew appalachian state's coach and i knew south alabama's coach just because we're from mobile and appalachian state is actually really good Well, okay, fair enough. I did not know South Alabama's head coach's name. Uh, his name is Steve Campbell, and he is actually on the hottest seat I can even imagine right now. Yeah, um, yeah I figured. Listen, guys, there's really only two choices in this conference. So me and Brandon are just going to be talking about the same people. But, Brandon, go ahead and take Steve for us. Yeah, so, so old Steve. Everyone knows Steve Campbell. It's a household name. Um, apparently... Um, he got his start at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. <laughs> I mean, if you weren't us, you would not know where that is. Uh, it's it's somewhere between Mobile and New Orleans. It's on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, as the name would imply. Did pretty well there. He moved on, got got um, Central Arkansas. They're not even D one. He got he got more than a junior college job though. He went to Central Arkansas. Did fairly well there. You know, he didn't start out great, but he ended up winning 10 games, two seasons in a row. And so he got the big call up to South Alabama. He moved to, you know, Mobile, Alabama, and just made a go at it. And ever since he's been there, it's just been, goodness, it's been disappointing. He went 3-9 and nine in 2018 and 2-10 and 10 this past year. And um, honestly – not that bad for South Alabama, but it's it's definitely not good. You have to do something. You can't just be five and nineteen and keep your job. I don't think. Uh, I don't know. Two and ten. I, I don't know. Tough, I don't. I, I don't know. Gene Chizik was like five and eighteen, got the Auburn job, and then won a national title. Oh, yeah, weird, right? Let's go ahead and call him up. Maybe once Auburn fires Gus Malzahn, you'll have Steve Campbell as a as a I'm fantastic. For yeah, <laughs> I'm for it. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> In case you guys don't do math, five and nineteen is like a twenty and a half percent win percentage. No, no, it's not good. I mean, you win. That's tough. <laughs> That's very bad. I mean, guys, uh, like, I listen. We're both from Mobile. 
we both understand South's a new program, but I mean, you can't. I, I don't think two and ten is going to cut it anywhere in the country. No, and you say new, and by new, Zach means that they're like what ten years old now. That's, I mean, it's new, but come on, <laughs> like, you gotta. Okay, uh, okay, it's years. new compared to like Auburn, who's been around since like the the what the eighteen hundreds. Like, come on, man. Since the earth was still young and cooling. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, last season, the only wins for South were Jackson State, not D1, and an upset comeback win over Arkansas State in the last week of the season. They had losses to... pretty good. Yeah, no, they were good. That's a big win. But Jackson State? Yeah, fair enough. The Gamecocks, yeah. Yeah. And then they lose to Texas State? Nah, man. No, she can't do that. That's a it's terrible a look. look. Brandon, in two weeks, they were outscored 77 to 9 by Memphis and UAB. No, I mean, like, I, UAB didn't even have a football team like three years ago. That's what I'm saying. They're even newer than South, and they. they well, they're not it. new. They got stuff suspended. I mean, like, story, okay, you but... could can, can still, like, count them as new because they're still trying to get their program together. I mean, Fair 77 to 9. Memphis is good. Don't get me wrong, but for Memphis UAB to beat you seventy-seven to nine at home, yeah, that's true. And this season is going to be brutal. I mean, I'll you know they have to go at they have at Southern Miss the first week of the season. That's an L. Then they go at Florida, definitely an L. Then they have UAB, Troy, Georgia Southern, Louisiana Lafayette, and Arkansas State. That's seven losses I see at minimum. That's if everything goes right, right uh, with the other games. <laughs> that's that's best case scenario for South. Yeah, and if he wins seven games, he at least won five, and that matches total over the next two seasons or the last Fair. two seasons. So, but I, I I don't see Campbell turning the ship around right now. And if let's just say he goes two and ten again, I mean, can you really keep him at seven and twenty nine through three seasons? No, you can't. And, and what really cracks me up is that um, this is just the worst football. He has he holds the record for the two worst um, finishes in South Alabama football history because they're so new. Um, the second worst was the year that their coach got fired. He went four and eight. They're firing coaches over four and eight at South Alabama. So three and nine and two and ten. Well, what's next year? One one and eleven for South. It's not going to cut it. Okay, you know how bad that is. If they, if he had the worst season ever at two and ten, that means the coach who coached their very first year of ever playing football had a better record at two and ten. They went, they went undefeated their first ever year. Well, that's, that's uh, their first ever year they played like nobody. But I mean, like even even like when they started playing real teams, I mean, South beat Mississippi State. Oh, I know. Are you telling me? I know. So if you could beat Mississippi State, there's no reason you should be going two and ten losing to Texas State. Absolutely. I I mean I agree a million percent. But guys, uh Brandon, I'm assuming you have this guy as your second pick. It's gotta be Matt Vitor for Louisiana Monroe. Oh, uh yeah. it, very bad. I mean, so he took over in two thousand sixteen after one of the worst uh, one of the worst, I think it was the worst season in program history, which was two and 10 and they fired Todd Barry. And I mean, this program 
for me, okay, th- there's th- listen, guys. We we cover a lot of power five stuff here. We're trying to tailor our expectations. If coaches are go six and six in this conference, that's amazing with the type of talent they get. But this program is better than a consistent losing, uh, like a constant losing record. 2007, they beat Alabama. 2012, they beat Arkansas. They've beat Mississippi State and Kentucky. And they literally almost beat Florida State last year. But then the next week, they follow it up with a 72 to 20 loss to Iowa State. That is, Iowa State doesn't even score a lot, and they score 72 on you. That's not a good look. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's, jeez, dude, it's real bad. It's real tough out here in these streets. I mean, so I, I looked at their I looked at their schedule. It's manageable. I, can I say that it's manageable? He could keep his job because the schedule is so easy. They, but they do have some big games. They have to play at Georgia. Brandon, you think they got a chance there? I don't. Um, but then, it, like realistically, they have games at Troy, Appalachian State, at Georgia State, at Arkansas State, at Arkansas, then Louisiana Lafayette. I mean. That's seven losses I personally see, but I think anything under six wins are, is going to cost uh, Matt his job. Do you? I mean, I don't know if anything under six costs him his job. I mean, okay, I maybe five and seven. Maybe, yeah. Their their schedule's really not that tough. I mean, it, it's weird it's though. Not that tough, they, and it's, and it's, it's not like it's a team even like South Alabama who doesn't have. Like bowl expectations. I mean, if you're Louisiana Monroe, you're at least expecting to go to a bowl game, right? That's what I'm saying. I, that's why I said six and six. Like, I mean, this he's not doing a good job here. I mean, the program's trending in the wrong direction. Right. No, and you you want to correct that. I mean, there's a reason he's on my hot seat. I mean, he's the only other coach on my hot seat in this conference. So it's, um, I don't know. You you can't be teetering on bowl eligibility here i mean it, i understand it's louisiana monroe it's maybe not like the pinnacle of of what a blue bro, what a blue blood program is in college football but it's a team that should i mean what do you expect for louisiana louisiana monroe i mean like i think seven and five is like that's not too much to ask for on this program yeah that's pretty I, average I, I, I don't think it is too much I, I think it's fine and i mean personally i mean I, okay, I want to like say one thing about their schedule. I don't know if how hard you looked at it. They have back-to-back trips to Arkansas. They play Arkansas State and Arkansas in back-to-back weeks and have to travel for both of them. I did not. Is that not trash? They just, they just might not leave. Monroe is so close to Arkansas, though. It's not like it's not like they're going that far. It's it's ridiculous, man. I mean, pers- okay, so I you know I don't like anyone to get fired. I mean, I would really like Luzemiro to go on a win streak and him keep his job, but I just personally don't see it, man. Because for me, it's like once a program starts having multiple losing seasons, I feel like it just it just spirals for me. I I mean, I don't know about you, but it just seems to just snowball into just this like hard to manage mess and so i just i don't see him turning it around i think they go in a different direction because i feel like Louisiana monroe can pull a young up-and-coming coach that can really turn it around they have that type of name recognition for a group of five program yeah no you're absolutely right um and to put this in perspective guys i'm not 
I'm not – I am saying both of these coaches are on the hot seat. I think that Steve Campbell's way more on the hot seat than Matt Vitoris, but like it's not even close. It's like it's like Steve Campbell's not going to have his job anymore after this next season. Matt Vitoris still has a shot to keep his job this upcoming season. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, he definitely does. Some of these some of these coaches I feel like they're out no matter what, really, but yeah, he definitely could save his job with a with a decent season. I and they have the talent to do it. And so uh, out of all the coaches we covered, I have a lot of confidence in, 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 in Matt Vitor. Yeah. And hopefully he can turn around. Like you said, we don't really want coaches to get fired, right? We're not, we're not hoping somebody loses their job, you know? Oh man. The, the segment's always tough. Like, cause I feel like, but you know, on that guys, I mean, I don't know how much of you guys watch Sunbelt football, but, um, uh, the, the, yeah, the fun belt, but the other coaches, they're all new They're or, or they're, they're either new or they're experienced coaches that have bought themselves a bad year or two. But for right now, guys, we are going to move on third segment of the day. You know, last episode, we ranked current college football quarterbacks into five different tiers. Go check out our last episode available everywhere to catch that. Um, but with the season approach, with the season approaching, we thought it would be best to start breaking teams down for next season. And instead of ranking all the running backs of college football in the tiers, I'm sure Brandon might have quit the podcast if I were to throw in that segment <laughs> at him. Um, we're going to start a new segment where we break down the best of the best at each position. So Brandon and I will be picking a program or two that we think have the best positional unit for each position for next season. And today we're going to break down the best running back rooms or backfields in the country. So Brandon, who are you picking as the best running back or backfield room in the country? Yeah. So when you pitched the best backfield in the country to me, I was thinking best like running back quarterback combo. So I'm still going to run with that. I think my, I think my pick plays, uh, how how do you pick anybody that's not Clemson here, right? You know, it's they have no, no, Travis Etienne. Clemson was my first pick too, so go ahead, man. I will build right, right. off of you. No, Travis Etienne is returning for his senior campaign. I mean, it's it's nuts. Who would have expected this? This is a guy. Uh, obviously, um, Clyde Edwards-Helaire was the only first round pick running back this year. Uh, I believe that if Travis Etienne would have uh, gone to the draft, he might have been taken in Clyde Edwards Lair's place just because they're sort of like they're very similar running backs, but I think that Travis Etienne is more talented. Um, you know, he's just that dual threat guy. You know, he can he can take the ball and rush it out of the backfield and just shove it down your throat. Or he could go out, I mean, even line up at slot receiver. I mean he is he's a receiving back really and he's really shown that over this past season. Um over his career, I mean, he's caught 54 passes for for nearly 600 yards and six touchdowns. And as a running back, that is that number is insane. And, and let's talk about his ground game. I mean, over his career, he has he has over 4,000 career rushing yards over three seasons and 56 touchdowns. Um, this past season, he he had an average of eight yards per carry every single time he touched the ball. Uh, he racked up 1,600 yards on the ground. And it, it, to me, it's just insane the things that he can do. And he's returning for his senior season. You know, he's coming back. And who's to say this isn't going to be his best season yet? 
So I, I think there's a lot of potential there. And obviously when I picked it, like I said, I thought it was the best duo. And I mean, Etienne and Lawrence, name a better duo. I, I'll wait because there's not one. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if we're just talking running backs, I mean, Travis Etienne can carry this conversation all day if he wanted to. Yeah, I picked Clemson, and I was just looking at the running backs. Uh, like Brandon said, Etienne, he's already broken down his stats. Don't need to go over that again. But he's a back-to-back ACC Offensive Player of the Year. And I, I, would, I would say if it wasn't for Tuba Hubbard, I would probably rank him the best running back in college football. I mean, to be yeah. 100%. I mean, Chuba Hubbard will get to him. He's really, really good. But Trevor Sittian is right up there. I think Trevor Sittian is more dynamic than Chuba Hubbard. But if we're talking pure running back, Hubbard's got him. But and this goes deeper than just Etienne. I mean, Lynn J. Dixon is, has just as much potential as Etienne. He has over 1,000 yards rushing in his career, over 10 touchdowns. And he averages 7.1 yards per carry for his whole career at Clemson. So right. uh, when insane. So when Etienne has to go to the bench or they have him out wide in the slot, when Jay Dixon can make a play. And I think this year, as Travis Etienne and these other players try to pick up some Justin Ross slack, look for Lynn J. Dixon to get some playing time in the backfield. Because I think Travis Etienne is going to need a break. He has a lot of touches in his career. So if they want to manage Etienne, Lynn J. Dixon has got to do it. And Dixon is just as good in the pass game, too. So watch him outside in the slot as well. Absolutely. I mean, you have to. And this is just such a dynamic uh, duo in Clemson's backfield, and it's going to be insanely dangerous. Because typically, and, what do you have in a, in, in a given backfield? You have that one running back that's going to carry the load, who was Travis Etienne in this, in this case. And then you might have a few backups or a few extra guys who maybe they're like a different kind of back. But these two guys are very similar in the way they play. And it's, I mean, it's almost like, like, I mean, like Zach said, uh, Lynn J. Dixon is, is taking the ball for 7.1 yards every single time he touches it. Travis Etienne's taking for 7.8. I mean, that's so similar. It's scary. I mean, and Brandon, don't forget either. They landed DeMarcus Bowman this all season as a unanimous five-star recruit coming in. Oh, yeah. And guys, I want to talk about Bowman for a second. Okay, Brandon, I don't know how much you know about this kid, but he rushed for over 5,000 yards in his high school career over three years. And, Brandon, in his whole career, he averaged 11.4 yards per carry throughout his entire career and had over 70 touchdowns. And personally, I've watched this film. I know a little bit about this kid. He's more talented than Etty is right now. He's that good. He's that good. Wow. Guys, go watch this film. Demarcus Bowman, he's coming in as a true freshman, and I think he's going to play a real role, especially late in the season. I mean, if he doesn't have to see the field till the last four games of the season, to save him to the playoffs and bring him in. This kid's got the perfect blend of speed, power, agility, finesse, vision. This kid's the real deal, guys, and I think he could go down already as – the best Clemson running back ever to suit up. I mean, that's that's a very bold statement, and it's very high expectations for this kid. Obviously, Zach just set the bar maybe um, way too high, but we'll see. <laughs> well, 
I, I, okay, so I don't like putting unrealistic expectations. This kid's going to be really good. How about that? Will we, will we take yeah, that? We, we can okay. agree on that, yeah. Okay, so my second pick here. I, man, this is going to make me throw up. I hate this. I hate this show sometimes. It's the Alabama oh, no. Crimson Tide. Say it. Oh, gross. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, Brandon, we can agree. Najee Harris is a top five running back in the country. Yeah, and it was a Let's shock be that real. he came back too. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And he had over fifteen hundred yards and twenty touchdowns through the on the ground and through the air last season. And he's probably, I would say, he's the most physically dominant running back in the country. In yeah, terms I of mean, just, whereas, whereas Etienne can, he's a threat out of the backfield in two dynamics. Nashi Harris is a back back that will just run you over and continue running down the field. You know, Travis Etienne might be able to run around you. He has that quickness and that speed. And don't let me take away from his physicality. He's very physical, but Najee Harris is like a whole different level of physical. He's like a defensive end running up the middle. Right. And, I mean, uh, I think he's going to follow in the footsteps of Derrick Henry. I think Najee Harris is is a Heisman contender that should be taken serious this next season. Tillman it, it, Chuba yeah. Hubbard can make a real run at the Hosman, in my opinion. Right, and it's not like he can't go out of the backfield and catch passes either. He has nearly 400 yards receiving and seven and seven receiving touchdowns. Um, that's more receiving touchdowns than Travis Etienne has over his career. Uh, it's just it's crazy. I mean, this this guy is so dynamic, and uh, he's the main reason I picked Alabama. But let's not forget, Brian Robinson Jr. had some moments last season when Harris had to take a break on the field, and he's a threat when he's in the game. Over 800 yards in his career, nine touchdowns. He's just as physical as Harris, but he lacks a little bit of the explosiveness in open field to me. But you know, Bama, another year of development, Robinson could come out and be the next great running back. I mean, he easily, after after Harris leaves, he takes over this next year. I think he could be one of the best running backs in the SEC. And I think he played a little bit in that LSU game and was a little bit of a difference maker when Harris was off the field. Yeah, it's definitely not like, it's not it's not out of touch with reality to say that. I think that it's definitely in the realm of possibilities. And don't forget, uh, they also landed a big running back this offseason. Uh, Jace McClellan, and he was originally committed to Oklahoma, and he was clocked at a 4-5 in high school and has prototypical size to be a physical presence on the inside. He's short, he's stocky. He has a perfect build. He dominated in Texas. Brandon, he had over 6,400 yards and had over 120 total touchdowns in That's his three nuts. seasons. And he was in, that's what I was saying in Texas. He was the max prep all freshman of the year. That's nuts. in he high aver- school. He averaged 40 touchdowns a year. Yeah. <laughs> you you yes. only played 10 games in high school football. That well, that's also a game. I think it was either a sophomore or a freshman. He took his team all the way to the uh, Texas state championship. That's ridiculous. So guys, I'm picking Alabama. I'm picking Alabama as my second pick here, even though it makes me sick. They have three kids who would start at any program in the country. Yeah, fair enough. 
Um, I would give you my second pick, but I, I went with one pick. I don't guess I understood the segment well enough. <laughs> Guys, it's okay. Hey, when we roll out new segments, it's we're also rolling with it. But yeah, I think at Bama and Clemson would be a good sum up. I mean, those I would say those are the deepest running back rooms in the country, in my opinion. Yeah, that's Cause hey, you have, fair enough. Because you have teams like Oklahoma State that have Chuba Hubbard, but do they have anyone behind them? And then other people like Jonathan Taylor left. So it's like, what, do we really know what Wisconsin really has? No, we don't. And that's that's a very good point. So, guys, last segment of the day, you will know what it is. I'll, I'll at least, you know what, as we usually do, we're going to end with a recruiting update from us. Guys, just check out what, Brandon, the episodes for the last month to catch up on updates from around the country. And yeah, <laughs> it's been a minute, but we're going to head up to South Bend to analyze the Notre Dame fighting Irish. We are, they're trying to follow up a top 20 class from last season. And Brian Kelly is bringing in some elite talent to lead another charge to the playoffs. It's loaded six top 300 recruits already. And they're not done. They're, they're in the running for a lot more. Brandon, I usually let you start this. There's somebody I really need to talk about. Because I think I think he's the best. Well, I would say he's going to end up as a top ten player in the country when it's all said and done. Um, okay. Tyler Butchner, the number okay. twenty eight player in the country. He's the number three quarterback in the country. He is. He's going to end. He's going to end this cycle as the best quarterback in the country and should be a top five player in the country. I'm here to say it. He's going to start as a true freshman when Ian Book heads to the NFL after this year. He runs a four-six already, and Brandon in his high school in his um, last season he ran for over sixteen hundred yards, twenty-eight touchdowns, and averaged twelve point six yards per carry as a quarterback. Yeah, that's nuts. That's I can't. And, I don't even know what to say. And his decision-making to me, watching his film, is the best in this recruiting class by far for a quarterback. He had six, only six interceptions. Brandon, he had 402 passing attempts and only had six interceptions. That's insane. And, Brandon, he threw for over 4,400 yards and 53 touchdowns last year. So, just in one season, he threw for over 4,400 yards, 53 passing touchdowns, ran for over 1,600 yards, and had 28 touchdowns on the ground. I, I mean, the kid's good. I watched his tape. It, it's it, it's very <laughs> impressive. And I'm going to continue on with the streak of saying, if you haven't watched this film, go watch it. It's, it's Yes. Something. You know, if, if we were allowed, I would post his huddle on our page. This kid's so good. I mean, it, he has a very unique ability like he has the playmaking, the accuracy, the throw power, the ability to attack defenses at every level. Brandon, he threw for four. He threw for forty four hundred yards. He averaged sixteen point eight yards per completion. That's a that's a first down and a half every single time he he touched the ball. Yeah, I mean it's nuts. It, guys, this kid is the one of the best prospects I've seen in a long time, and if he doesn't get Notre Dame over the hump, they're doomed because he is the missing piece of the puzzle. Anything you can say about Ian Book not being a perfect playmaker, not being able to win the big games, Tyler Butchner is that guy. And I have really high hopes, and this kid is the real deal, and I cannot wait to see him suit up. 
No, dude, I can't either. And I honestly want to talk about him. And it's crazy that Notre Dame reeled this kid, this kid in, right? I mean, he's the third. Like you said, he right now he's ranked the third best quarterback in the country during this recruiting cycle. You think he's good enough to be the first ranked, which is, I mean, very good on him. Uh, and he's out of La Mesa, California. It's not like they're taking him out of Indiana or somewhere in the Midwest. They're they're fishing this kid out of out of the West Coast and taking Notre Dame, which is insane to me. Yep, I I agree. I mean, he, I just I I can't say enough about this kid. Like, I don't want to put you know I've already got called out for putting unrealistic expectations on somebody, so I do, <laughs> I don't want to do it again. But the Notre Dame has talent at these other positions, guys, and. I would not be surprised to see this kid lead Notre Dame to a national title or compete for a Heisman Trophy. He's that good. And when you watch film, like you can tell when a player's good, but it does that player have that it factor? This kid has the it factor. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, well, about some things. I think the I think the national championship might be a little bit. I don't want to say out of reach, but. Uh, I think Heisman's far more achievable than national championship. I mean, Notre Dame has been to the national championship recently and was in the playoffs like two years ago. How did both of those turn out for them? Yeah. Did they have this kid at quarterback? No. You think he's the single missing piece? Uh, Yeah, I do. Because their problem in both games were was their offense not being able to move the ball. Well, let's talk about let's move on from this kid and, and talk about another piece of the offense that that's coming in uh, during this recruiting cycle. And this is the player that I'm most excited for on on in Notre Dame's um, uh, recruiting for this for this cycle. And, and that's Lorenzo Styles Jr. Uh, he's a wide receiver out, out of uh, Pickering, Ohio. And you, I don't know how big of a fan you are, Zach, of very fast wide receivers. This kid runs a four four seven um, as a junior in high school, incredibly fast. Um, but if you watch him on the field, his on field speed is—I mean, I've literally over at least in this recruiting cycle haven't seen a kid this fast yet. It's insane how he just burns every single cornerback, every single safety, every single anybody who co- tries to cover him. He just burns them. He gets like ten yards of separation, and it's just the easiest—it's the easiest pass in the world for their quarterback to make. And when these two kids make it to Notre Dame, they're going to be a lethal combination. So yeah, I mean, if their offense truly is what's keeping them from from national championship contention, then I think these two kids can really help to solve that uh, to, to solve that issue. I mean, uh, he's really good. I I, say, I didn't want to highlight. I, I don't like just sit here and highlighting players repeatedly for you guys. So I did take a. I didn't. I wasn't going to talk about this kid, but Brandon's right. He's elite, and these two guys together, man. I mean, I don't don't let don't let Zach fool you. He didn't want to talk about him because his second pick was Auburn. No, no, Zach's I did. I, 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 like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's really because there's two other kids in the class. So, you know, Brandon, I don't know if you see my pattern. I picked the two, two of the highest rated players in the class and I'll highlight them for our listeners. And then I'll find a gym that I like that might be lower rated, but you guys need to know their name. This class had two guys that I thought were gyms. So I cut off one of my, 
early picks that were like high rated players that everyone might know. But there's two guys in this class that had a low rating that I wanted to highlight. So that's why I didn't talk about him. I am a little salty. He didn't pick Auburn, but he is elite guys. And I think he's going to be really good. And it's needed though. Cause I mean, Claypool's gone and they, these guys up in there, they got to have a go-to target, right? Right. I mean, Claypool was dominant guys. (laughs) That was an elite receiver. But, you know, I mentioned I had two gems here. One, both of them, well, I guess both of them were on defense. One, and they're both, they're both under, they're both over 500 nationally. My first player, Justin Walters. He's the 518th ranked player and the 31st safety in the country. Right. Um, he is my gem in the rough in terms of secondary players, guys. He's ver- he's big, 6'2". He needs to put on some weight. He's only 175. But if he can put on some muscle mass, he could play as an outside linebacker. And, but he can play both safety spots, so you can move him all around. He can play the slot. Um, but the biggest thing for me, watching his film, researching this kid, is his aggressiveness that he plays with and just the violent nature that he brings to the field, man. I mean... This kid will separate ball carriers from the ball quickly. He has the athleticism to make plays in the open field. With his length, he has big strides, which helps him run down wide receivers. But his size is what why I like him so much. He He's big enough to cover tight ends and lanky wide receivers, but he's also fast enough to cover those quick slot receivers and running backs out the backfield. So he has everything you look for in a safety, and I think – He's just he's overlooked right now, and I think he could become a real factor when he gets to Notre Dame. And I can I can see him starting at safety for three to two two to three years in Notre Dame. And I don't think a lot of people are predicting that right now. Right, I couldn't find his tape. Uh, that might have been an issue for me, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, good, yeah good I, did, I, I had tape. to search for his tape, man. It I think it, it was on like some weird high school website. I can send it to you after the show, but yeah, he. He's good, and my last player, it's weird because this guy, the only reason he's overlooked is he plays in a small state, and this is only his second year of football ever. And right. that's Jason, um, I don't know, I'm not sure how he pronounces, but it's, I think it's Oni. And I think it's he's, Anya. Yeah, Anya. Jason Anya, 556 ranked player. 39th weak side defensive end, but he's the number one player in the state of Rhode Island. So he's a three star. The Rhode Island is not known as a pipeline state for um, any, any team. And it's not a rich, a talent rich state like Texas or Georgia. So he's overlooked because of that. And he's only, this is only his second year playing organized football, Brandon. He, he started playing football as a sophomore in high school. And, okay. In his second season as a junior, he had 76 tackles and 15 sacks as a defensive end. Pretty impressive. That and he's 6'5", 245, and they set in like everything I've been reading is that he puts on weight quick and he's getting bigger because he he wasn't even working out till two years ago to be a football That's player. Insane. He's six five two forty five right now, and they're projecting him to grow more. And if he adds more muscle mass to his frame, he is going to be an issue, guys. And I think if he, you're getting seventy six tackles as a defensive end in high school, and you're getting fifteen sacks, 
this kid is going to be a household name. And once he figures out the game, because in two years, guys, you really don't understand the schemes and like really how to play football. And so once he understands that, I think I think the sky's the limit for this kid. And if he was in a bigger state, I think he could he easily has top 100 talent. Yeah, no, for sure. You're, you're right. I, I saw this kid's tape as well, and I really, I was really high on him. Um, I didn't choose him as one. For some reason, I just have this aversion. He's so he's the uh, uh, I don't even know what to say. He's not the top. He's the bottom ranked player for Notre Dame right now. He's he yeah, has he's the, the least, lowest rank. Yeah, lowest rank. Lowest rank. That's I guess that's what you'd say if you were educated. Um, he's the lowest ranked player for Notre Dame right now. Um, and I don't know, something about that was just like, oh, that's too obvious to pick. But no, that's a, that is a great pick, Zach. Um, I guess if I had to choose one more player that I would say to look out for, that would be Philip Riley. Um, he's a cornerback out of Florida, uh, out of, where's that, Bellarico, Florida. Um, he's the 21st best cornerback in the country, the 45th best player in the state of Florida, 287 national. He's four-star. Um, very physical cornerback, a pretty big cornerback too. Um, he's six feet tall, 190 pounds. Uh, and you know, he can add more weight to that frame, whatever, but that's a good size for a college cornerback really and truly. Um, he's very, he's a very physical player. I like that his highlight film pointed out who he was covering a lot of the times, you know, he's covering five-star wide receivers, four-star wide receivers. And I mean, just knocking passes out of the air, going up, grabbing interceptions it was he's a very impressive player and while he's not like bottom of the barrel in this recruiting class i think he's a player that is a little bit overlooked just because there is a lot of talent in this recruiting class um but yeah i mean there were other players here that i just wasn't really that impressed with um so i think philip riley i think everyone that we've mentioned so far has been players that i've been very impressed with yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this class is stout, and I think if they add a few more pieces, I really think it could finish, I would say, what, top 10 in the country? I think it has potential for that, especially if players like um, players like we highlighted are gems in the class get a rise in their rankings after their senior year of football, guys. I mean, we're doing this kind of early, but... There's a lot of teams we got to break down, a lot of different moving parts in recruiting. And so a lot of these players aren't going to stick where they are. Because like I said, I, I really, really think Tyler Butcher is going to end up as a top 10 player in this class. And that is going to greatly improve Notre Dame's chance, chances of having a top 10 class. And I think Notre Dame, Brian, I don't know about you, is one of those programs that you can always count on them getting some elite recruits just based off name recognition. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I don't know. Would, okay, so this is going to be corny, but I got to ask: like, would you consider them a blue blood program? Notre Dame? Yeah. Yes. Are you kidding me? Okay. Yes. I'm just making sure. I mean, people have weird things. We got to do an episode like that. This is just random, guys. Sorry, I'm just talking now. Um, we really do have to do a blue bloods episode about who are the real blue bloods in college football. Yeah, I mean, it's our namesake. I feel like we probably should have <laughs> talked about this by now, but we just haven't. But what we're we're what eighty seven episodes in and we have yet to yeah. talk about it. We we're, we're surprisingly you know, I, not we're surprisingly not named after the uh the about the program about police officers or whatever. I've never seen the Blue Bloods that TV show. Um, yeah, that's I not who we're named after, by the way. Yeah, no, we're not. Hey, go listen to our interview with Clemson play by play guy um, Don Munson. 
to hear why we are named the Blue Bloods. Yeah. How about that interview? If you yeah, if you only listen to one of our great plugs, Zach. If you only listen to one of our interviews, that's the one you need to go listen to. It's fantastic, and I'm done plugging my own podcast on my podcast. <laughs> It's it's like okay, it's like the people who are listening are like, yes, we get it. We're listening to your episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's tough. That's tough. But guys, that is a wrap on this episode. Um, you know, we got a little bit back on schedule this week. Sorry about last week. Uh, Brandon does not have to keep declaring war on Cox Internet. Um, no, I'm so, still, I'm still, I'm still at war. Don't worry, I have internet, okay, but I'm still at war. Yeah, uh, if you guys want to join the war against Cox, hit Brandon up. Um, but guys, um, f- social media, Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods, Facebook at the Blue Bloods Pod, Twitter at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods, um, our website thebluebloodspod.com. Go check all that out. Uh, follow us on everything. You can find the podcast everywhere: Apple Music. Spot or Apple Podcast, sorry, Spotify, YouTube, all that on YouTube. Just look up the Blue Blood CFB podcast. We are there. All our episodes are there. Um, but yeah, you guys subscribe to all your friends, rate the podcast, uh, spread the word, guys. We love all our listeners out there. You guys keep coming to listen. We're gonna keep dropping episodes. That's how this works. But for right now, we out.